0: Hi, my name is Michael Warren. I'd like to give you some background on one of my best friends. I call him my brother from another mother. Your host, Jed Hughes. Jed climbed up the football coaching ranks working for and alongside seven Hall of Fame coaches, including Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Tony Dungy, and Bo Schembechler, just to name a few. Now, I met Jed at my alma mater, UCLA, where I was an All-American basketball player and two-time captain for a couple of Coach John Wooden's championship teams. While Jed was a great defensive coordinator at UCLA recruiting a historic class, I was a cast member on the Emmy honor television series, Hill Street Blues. Jed somehow creatively involved me in his recruiting pitch and that turned out to be a lot of fun. After a great stint at UCLA, Jed worked in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cleveland Browns. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Jed holds a master's degree from the University of Stanford and a PhD from the University of Michigan and has led the sports consulting practice for two global executive search firms, Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Ujiri, and four of the five power conference commissioners along with many athletic directors and C-Suite executives across the industry. I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes podcast. Through this podcast series, Jed will dive into what makes leaders, coaches, and executives great, and what separates the Hall of Famers from the rest. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Welcome to the Jed Hughes Podcast.
1: My guest today, is one of a handful of CEOs that manage both the business and sports side. He started as a scout with the Spurs during his career. He became the general manager, then president, and now the CEO of San Antonio Spurs and Entertainment. He's been a part of five NBA championships, 22 consecutive playoff appearances, and executive of the year twice. R.C. Buford. Welcome friends, Robert Canterbury Buford. how How long did it take before they started calling you RC?
2: Fortunately I started off as RC. I don't <laughs> my, uh, I, I, my my mom wanted to call me Canterbury, so thank goodness we they settled on RC quickly.
1: No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, it, this business, RC. You're an active learner, an elite relationship builder, a transformational strategist, and you couple that with this genuine and gracious manner. I mean, I remember hearing about you caddying for your wife, Beth, when she was on the LPGA tour. That must have been cool.
2: Yeah, that was that was fun. I think the most nervous I've ever been was caddying for her in the British Open um when she ended up finishing third. So that was in all sports that was the most nervous I've ever been. Um but uh you know, all that all that other stuff Tim Duncan made us all look good.
1: <laughs> we you know, we you talk about that which we'll get to with Tim, but being uh, someone that's welcoming. You had just met me, invited me down to meet some of your general managers and hosted the dinner. And at that dinner, you know, a a guy about five foot 10 comes in, starts talking, we're sitting there. I come to find out it's Tony Parker. And, uh, you know, you introduced me to these different uh, assistant GMs trying to help them. And then anytime I've had a search, you've always been willing, you know, to help. Confidentially share information. I mean, you've been an incredible friend and mentor to me in my career, and I really appreciate you taking time to share some insights about you and about your organization and the success that the Spurs have had. So again, thanks for uh, being on my show.
2: You've been you've been a great mentor and friend too. So feelings mutual.
1: Thanks. So when the pandemic hit. Uh, personally for you and Beth and the family, what were some of the things that, that, that you did that you forced you to have to change the way you conducted your
2: life? We had some amazing times, both together as a family, but also then sharing opportunities to, to, uh, to help in our community.
1: So basketball, going back to when you were growing, how did you get into basketball, playing basketball? How did
2: you? You know, I went to I went to a small school in Wichita, Kansas, that had 23 in my graduating class. And so, when when you were uh, at a school that size, everybody played everything. So I was I played um, football, basketball. Uh, I was a tennis player early on in my life and had a a nice junior career. And then I also ran track. Um, I was probably best at football and uh, had, had more opportunities to play in, after high school in football. But I loved basketball, and, and uh, so I made, a, I made a decision not to go to Nebraska to play football and to try to pursue basketball, and thank goodness I did.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you go to college, you end up with Bill Self as a roommate. So I, I know there's some, pro, some stories there, and I don't know if there are any you can share live.
2: You know I hosted him on his re- i started at texas a and m and the uh, the athletic dorm and the engineering building were a long way apart and so that wasn't a very successful attempt so I went to to uh, Oklahoma State next and got I hosted Bill on his recruiting trip to Stillwater and we've been friends really close friends ever since
1: Well you was yeah. nuts when you your ready. Yeah,
2: we trusted each other with with our with our sons, and I mean we've been we've just been he's been one of my closest friends ever since. It doesn't surprise me in the least that he's been had the great success that he has as a Hall of Fame coach in
1: in in uh, at Kansas. So, how do you decide on coaching? How does that? How do you get the bug? I mean, your father's a really successful businessman, and you decide. Yeah.
2: I- You know, thank goodness, probably for both of us, that I didn't try to go into his business. But um, as a kid growing up, I'd gone to to the University of Kansas' basketball camp. And Ted Owens was a really successful coach at KU and was a, what had been become a a good friend. And when I got out of school, Coach Owens offered me a a position on as a graduate assistant in the program. And the march before, I finished undergrad, um, they fired Coach Owens at, at KU, and um, fortunately the athletic director at Kansas, his son and I played high school together. So he, he shared with me that whoever they hire, they, he would ask them to at least speak to me. And they hired Larry Brown, and Larry didn't have anybody to pick up his laundry or walk his dogs, and it fit my skill set perfectly. So um, I started with Larry and coached with him for 11 years. Um, yeah, I mean, you follow him that. from
1: Kansas, right? You win the national championship. He gets hired by the Spurs, and you meet Pop for the first time.
2: Yeah. Well, Pop had actually done a uh, sabbatical. He was coaching a Division Three school in California, Pomona Pittsburgh And he had done a sabbatical in 1987 and came and visited us in kansas and he was only supposed to be there for about two months maybe like december january and once larry got him into the into the coaching staff he wasn't going to let him leave so pop stayed with us through the end of the season and then pop went back and coached at pomona in the 88 season and then after that year when we went to san antonio Larry went after Pop aggressively and talked him from moving from Pomona pitzer to the Spurs. So, well, that worked. Thank goodness! Thank goodness he did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Although be- you
2: know, you know, Pop, he'd be just as happy if he'd spent his entire time. His assistant coach at Pomona has been the head coach at Pomona ever since Pop left in in uh, '88. And I could have seen Pop being at Pomona for the same. Um, 35, 40 years now.
1: So Larry, Hall of Fame coach, goes to the Clippers and you move as, a, as his uh, first assistant and uh, in typical Larry fashion, it's like a cup of coffee stop for you and with the Clippers.
2: <laughs> yeah. He had, he, had joined, uh, he had joined the club in the middle of the 91, 92 season and when he left the spurs if you ask the owner the owner said that larry quit and if you ask larry he said the owner fired him so i'm not really sure which which was which but he left in the middle of the season and from there he went to start with the clippers at the all-star break-in so pop and i finished out the season in san antonio and then pop went to golden state with don nelson the next year and i joined larry um, and he only stayed another year. So um, at that point in time, I really just wanted to be a coach in college. That was my dream, and I had. Uh, so I I went to the University of Florida and coached uh, a year with Lon Kruger.
1: Yeah, I said, what an unpaid assistant or something.
2: Well, the the third position was called restricted earnings. So restricted it earnings. cost me. It cost me. It cost me more to To uh, move from California to Florida than it did than I made for the year. So
1: did you have time at that
2: time? Yeah, Chase, Chase, and Cece were both. Chase would have been three and a half to four, and Cece was a year old.
1: So, I mean, you moved them trans transcontinental or from uh, back and forth in in a short period yeah. of time. Your wife yeah, had to be we flexible. To,
2: she was very flexible. So, it, so without then, her support, I. Without her support, this never would have happened. Um, the, and Pop came back as a GM in, to San Antonio in 94. It was not, you know, his pedigree showed nothing to uh, anybody that you would have thought he'd have been, even a, a capable GM. You know, he'd never been in the front office. He had been an assistant coach in the NBA for five years and a Division III head coach. So it didn't look like someone who would now be um you know a future hall of famer but the the chairman of the board of the spurs at the time was a man named general mcdermott general mcdermott was president of usaa who was one of our ownership was one part of our ownership group but but mcd had been the commandant of the air force academy uh, when pop had played and coached there and mcd knew pop not as from a basketball standpoint. I'm not sure McDee knew anything about basketball, but he knew Pop as a visionary and as a leader. And he brought Pop in and now here we are.
1: And then he hires you as his top scout.
2: There were only three of us, so huh. there wasn't a top or a bottom. There was there was he and one other person in our front office and then me. So we uh, we were making it up as we were going.
1: So, when you were in college, in terms of developing evaluation skills, was that something that someone helped you with? Or you kind of learned on your own in terms of how to do that when you got to the Spurs because you were, had been a college coach. Was that helpful at all in terms of talent evaluation? Where do you think that skill came from?
2: I think you, as you're trying to build teams, you're, you're recruiting players, you're evaluating players. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure we knew what the hell we were doing, but we, uh, we enjoyed working together and I think we all shared Pop's vision, which allowed us to understand, you know, the type of people we were looking for.
1: So when you say that, what was that vision? And you, you've built this unbelievable alignment. I mean, when Peter Hope bought the team and came on and you pop you know, alignment is so critical, and you've been able to have that. We'll talk about the transition a little later, but what you ha- what you had during this period of time, uh, and and the run you went on in terms of consecutive wins and five NBA championships is unprecedented. So, what? How did this all happen in terms of building out this model of you know? I think
2: players. Pop's vision wasn't particularly. Um well synthesized or articulated he you know his but his basic premise was I'm I you know I'm a division three head coach I'm going to get one chance to do this it's probably going to last two or three years and then I'll be back in Pomona and he uh said if I get one chance to do this I want to do it with people that I enjoy being with and you know we were challenged with that right away um the first year we're there we have the best record in the history of the franchise we go to the conference finals and lose lose to the rockets who end up winning the NBA championship that year. But we had Dennis Rodman on our team who was a great player but was going to be impossible to build uh, to build a team and so you know kind of we were challenged right away with is this what you really believe in and what you, how are you going to hold yourself accountable and we we traded him to Chicago. They go on to win three championships, uh, three more championships, and you know, clearly it was a bad talent trade, uh, Dennis for Will Purdue, but it allowed us to start building a team, um, and creating an organizational uh, chemistry and and culture that you know that that has served us well for a long time.
1: Well, today. 1997, you made Tim Duncan your first-round draft
2: pick. Yeah, that one was when you couldn't screw up. Right. If you if you look back on that, we drafted him in '97, The first year, Tim Sear with David Robinson and Sean Elliott and, right. and uh, Avery Johnson. We lose in the second round of the playoffs to Utah, um, and they went on to the conference finals. And the next year, we started – six and eight in the lockout shortened season and there was a lot of uh you know pop wasn't a particularly uh popular coach in the community at the time you know he had taken over the head coaching spot from a popular coach and had um we didn't do any better than the previous coach and then we start the lockout shortened season with a six and eight record and there was a strong uh, feeling in the community that that maybe he wasn't the right coach, and to, we lose a game at home by thirty points to the Jazz. Uh, that made us six and eight, and we go to play in Houston on a back-to-back, and uh, the Rockets had Drexler and uh, Charles Barkley. I mean, they had a heck of a squad, and. Had we lost that game, there's there's always been speculation whether uh, the ownership would have made a coaching change. But somehow we go to Houston after just getting crushed the night before at home and we beat Houston, and then we go 31-5 and five the rest of the year and end up winning our first championship. So there are those moments throughout your life that, you know, if something might have happened differently, one game might have changed – the history of, of all of our uh, all of our families with the Spurs.
1: So international players, I mentioned about you being uh, this this strategist. Uh, you end up, you know, bringing in Ginobili and Parker. Um, but the thrust for international players when did that? When did you begin starting to scout them? Pop really was
2: the was the the impetus behind that
1: he had always
2: been a fan of international play he had played at the air force academy and then he'd also played on some armed forces teams that had traveled around the world and he had great appreciation great respect for uh international players and there were uh you know he in 1989 He had gone to Europe as an assistant coach and watched one of the European championships. And we ended up signing a Yugoslavian at the time, Zarko Pospa, that was uh, a reflection of Pop's affinity for the international players. So almost a decade before we started a consistent uh, effort in drafting international players or being open to draft international players, Pop had had, uh, that vision outlined long before that, um, and then you know once Tim came and we became good, there was a there was a real, uh, real our reality was going to be that if we were good, we were going to draft at the back end of the first round most years, and if we were watching the same players as the rest of the NBA was, we were going to be in a position where we were taking a player that twenty. Five plus other teams may have passed on and what were we seeing so we at least wanted to be open to, to scouting in places that other play, people weren't paying as much attention to and that was the real impetus to start focusing on not just domestic but more international players
1: we end up uh signing drafting ginobili he waits a couple years before joining you and then you uh, draft parker And I I understand that at first, Pop wasn't interested. You had to get Sam Presti to make some tape to convince him that he ought to be looking at Parker.
2: That's what Sam says. We'll just let Sam tell that story.
1: But no,
2: Uh um, we had an individual workout with Tony. It was his first workout coming over from France. Uh It was in Chicago during the pre-draft camp. It was the last day our coaches were on their way. They had their bags packed. They were on the way to the airport. To catch a flight home, and Tony had a poor workout. Our guys were tired of Chicago, and it was clear Sam and I had had an affinity for Tony for a while, and we had to salvage another chance and And uh, Sam did a good job of putting together a video that he listened to all the coaches first. I think Sam's a terrific listener. He listened to all the coaches first and listened to what they said. To they didn't think Tony could do. And then Sam spent time putting together a tape that showed Tony doing the things that we liked. And he showed it to Pop and got Pop more engaged. Tony came back and had a, a terrific late workout for us. And we were fortunate that he that he felt
1: to us. The uh, you know, As you talk about done with your, your team, you've also really done an excellent job mentoring uh, people on your staff. There are five people currently in the NBA that you know, that worked that have worked for you. So there's something that, that you have an affinity for and your willingness to help not only develop players but also your staff. Can You talk a little bit about your thoughts about staff development and how you help these people move on to success.
2: Well, I think we get way too much credit for the talent and the skills that. That our people have shared with us. I think most importantly is we've had really impactful uh, values-based leaders who trusted us and joined our program, and then used as an used their impact on our programming as an opportunity to create opportunities for themselves. But um, I think Pop, as the leader from day one, has always encouraged. And challenged us to be prepared and have an opinion. And so everybody takes on a real responsibility to to be a part of the discussion and to participate in decisions. And so from, from an early time together, people get engaged in the in all aspects of the program in a way that I think helps helps us all grow. And while we've been we're proud of the the People who have come through our program, and um, as coaches and as front office personnel, um, it's really a, a reflection of their talents. We have a dinner that Chip England, uh, our, uh, one of our lead assistant coaches, has every summer in Las Vegas during the summer league. He hosts it, and we he, in, we invite all the people who started as interns, either in our Video room or in our front office program that are now working either in our program or with other NBA teams. And I think last year uh, we had the invitation list was like eighty-five people who are now had started and um, entry-level jobs within our basketball group that are now working other places. So we've been a beneficiary of some really elite talent. Um, that now is having opportunities to carry their their dreams forward, which is fun to see.
1: The other aspect of your program, which, which is remarkable, is how you've gotten these role players to play at a higher level. Of course, you, you take Tiago Splitter or Dwayne Blair, after they leave your organization, they're out of the league shortly. How is it that this chemistry you know, enables players to play at a different level? or play a way that, you know, other teams want to get them, and then they don't play the same way. Well, I think
2: Timmy's the biggest piece of that is that Timmy and and then Manu and Tony were so gifted, and they all made – they know they weren't only great players. They made the players around them so much better, and I think that has been our, you know, our good fortune is that our players played well together they enjoyed playing together they they were more than just teammates they were friends and they shared a real appreciation for for uh, culture and and values alignment and um but i think above all tim duncan made us all look better
1: we, the other aspect of the league that, that changed after you started having success with the big TV contracts came in, and now the the players became free agents and they started to dictate where they wanted to go. And you reached out really for the first time for a high profile person and brought Aldridge in, and it wasn't as smooth a transition as you had thought it would be. What were some of the challenges of bringing somebody into the into the Spurs way that hadn't been a part of it growing up. Somebody, an elite player like um, Aldridge.
2: I think LaMarcus did an amazing job in, in trying to to almost defer too much to the players who were in our program. And I think he really blossomed once he gave himself permission to to be who he was. And it's been a real learning lesson on how we uh, incorporate new new people into our program.
1: So you had made a, a really bold move trading up, bringing Kawhi in and in 2014. You, know, you, you win the NBA championship and have a, a really one of the best teams in the hi- history of the NBA. Um, and then a couple of years later, you know, the wheels start to come off with Kawhi and, you know, it, he becomes somewhat non-compliant and it's a difficult, you know, series that you have to navigate through. So if you had to do over again, is there anything different you would do to try to handle that situation?
2: Yeah, I think we'd have tried to, he was, it was, he's not, Kawhi's not an easy person to communicate with. And I think we would have done a better job of of really you know, over communicating, um, and uh, you know, just trying to 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 recognize um, when the trust was was being challenged. How would how would we have handled it better?
1: You've been with two Hall of Fame coaches, with Pop and Larry Brown. Two of them doing it very differently. What are the traits in your mind that they share that have allowed them to be so successful?
2: I think they're both really, really um, bright people who who have an incredible thirst for learning. Um, Coach Brown was like being in a graduate class on basketball every day, and there wasn't a minute that he wasn't trying to learn from people. Um, We always uh, teased him that. He thinks there's a wino on a street corner someplace that's got the perfect out-of-bounds play. So he'll listen to anybody in uh, in hopes of, of learning. And I think then with Pop, the relationship, his relationship ability and the amount of time and energy and thought he puts into developing trust and, and building on the caring relationship. Um, is like no place I've ever, nobody I've ever seen, and by showing and and helping people grow, uh, to show them how much to, that he cares for them. I think it allows him to be able to coach them hard because they know it's not self-serving. It's he's trying to do what he can to help them become better as as players and as peoples. Within, as people within their families, within their team, in in almost every environment, what well, I think he has an amazing innate relationship uh, skill set that is like none I've ever seen.
1: So a year ago, uh, Peter Senior decides he's going to sell the team to his son Peter John and his daughter, and the transition takes place. And I've had the chance to meet. Uh, Peter, John, obviously very bright, and engaging, and uh, thoughtful, and they make the decision you know, to move you into the CEO role. And uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier about you being an active learner is ever since I've met you, you've always been wanting to talk to people, you're taking courses, currently you're taking courses at Stanford online and so forth. Uh, what was it like you know, making this transition, as you talked about early on? from the basketball side over to the business side and, and trying to envision that and then form this umbrella culture that really hadn't been put together.
2: You know, our organization has, has been very stable over the course of, um, really the course of the, the entire time we've been together. They've they've uh, The ownership group has been together, most of them since 92, the whole family came in in 95. And the leadership that we've had from an ownership standpoint has just been um, as good as any place in professional sports um, in North America. And so that stability, the ability to build the relationship between the front office, our coaching staff, our ownership, and our and our business models um, has created great stability. And so it was really just capturing what the history of our organization was trying to to uh, focus on what the organizational or the future might look like and how it might be need different skill sets than what we what we had uh, at the time. Um, Curly, your your uh, identification of one of our new leaders, Brandon Gale. Um, from Facebook and the, the work that you did in helping us search the, the lead revenue position um, has, is going to have a huge impact as we build the organization of the future. And so it was really just taking the people and the systems that were in place and trying to uh, st- strategically position them for moving forward.
1: Well, the other piece, though, that you've done probably better than anybody in professional sports is the diversity of your executive team. You may want to talk a little bit about that because it's unique, in my opinion, in terms of how you have it, how, how you have it with um, with your team.
2: You know, my pop and my belief, both in in, in that space, has never been focused on fulfilling a. a a set of standards. What we really have focused on is trying to bring in the best players, the best staff, the best um, people and values uh, alignment that we can. And we've been the beneficiary of a really diverse group of people who trusted us and joined us. But, um, you know, Becky Hammond wasn't hired because she was – a female coach. She was hired because she was a really talented coach and could bring a lot to our program. And we have been able to see that in our uh, in our WNBA program. And Brandon Gale wasn't hired because he was a candidate of diversity. He was hired because he was currently an unbelievable team builder, a, a spectacular uh, leader, um, and a very bright business mind. On top of that, he's a diverse a candidate of diversity. Brian Wright, similar. So we've got uh, Hispanic leaders in our program. We've got several female leaders. Purpose wasn't to, to create an organization of diversity. It was it was it was uh, focused on to create an elite organization, and we're the beneficiary of elite talent who trust. Join in our program.
1: We at the beginning talked about how you were addressing the pandemic with the business, and then all of a sudden, you know, on a horrible evening, George Floyd gets murdered. And all of you, then, with your organization, convene a town hall on a Monday that's really emotional, where you've been able to create an atmosphere where people are able to. You'll really talk about their inner feelings, and then you create the Spurs voices, which are on Instagram, which are an unbelievable product of raw emotion of individuals talking about how they feel about being a diverse person in our society. Can you talk a little bit about the role you see coaches, players, uh, executives playing in this new reality that we're dealing with? Well,
2: I think the awareness of systematic racism is clearly more um front and center than maybe at any point you know in the history of our of our country. This has been a focal point of um, you know of pops for most of the time that I've known him is just the awareness of racism, the impact of of uh, this on the the young players in in that grow up in in and the people that grow up in America and so we've had these conversations within our team our basketball team for many years and we've had resources come in and, and visit about um, areas such as John Carlos from one of the uh, 68 Olympic athletes who protested on the medal stand and um, the Innocence Project has come in and talked about, um, you know, really the uh, the justice inequity and issues around um, the social justice issues around racism within the, the justice system. So this has been a part of our team environment. I had been a part of a of a uh, you know team building culture for my entire life in in, in sports. I had adopted a fourteen year old from Africa in two thousand and four and a seventeen year old uh, Muslim in two thousand and seven. I thought I understood what races uh, you know a bit about racism and I knew that I had different uh, I had different conversations with our adopted sons than I did with our own children but when I heard the pain and the fear of people in in our in our organization in our family, and the burden that they carried on a daily basis, it just really impacted me in a way that and I think it's impacted many in our community um, in a way that that uh, I never understood and so recognizing that this is a potential tipping point to 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 really create actionable programming uh, against systematic racism has become an organizational priority. And I'm encouraged by the conversations we're having internally that I hope will allow us to learn and listen and create programming for change. Because if we don't do it now, we're missing an incredible opportunity.
1: And, and there's no doubt about it, but anybody that's listening and uh, the ability to listen to these Spurs voices and listen to people in, in the Spurs organization talk about what R.C. just described is really emotional. It's gut wrenching to hear some of these individuals talk about their feelings and what they wake up with thinking and when they get out of bed in the morning. So it's really powerful. Um, so now R.C., NBA is looking like it's gonna go back uh, what are your concerns as, as you think about you know, going into a bubble atmosphere and the testing and the way this thing's going to work? As we've gone through uh,
2: the pandemic, I think we've had to become uh, comfortable being uncomfortable and having uh, the world change within minutes on a day-by-day basis, and I think we the nba has done an amazing job i can't imagine all of the, the due diligence that's gone in to trying to create a safe environment for our players and our coaches having said that the environment continues to change on a daily basis and so i think we're going to have to continue to be adaptable and, and recognize that there's there is a a lot of this that's out of our control, and we're we're all doing our best efforts to create
0: an environment
2: that is safe, an environment that's competitive, and that will bring sports back. Because I think uh, culturally, um, our nation is is yearning to have sport uh, sports in in our in our lives again. But I think we also have to be, to recognize it, uh, that there may become points in times that we have to be able uh, to adapt and adjust because we won't be able to predict what is going to, what is in front of us.
1: There's no doubt about this environment is, you know, moment by moment, day by day, it changes and uh, you have to be adaptable. I, I, I think to wrap this up, I mean, your commitment to a team focused to developing people uh, and just the way you conduct yourself as an individual—I mean, five NBA championships, two executive of the years, 22 straight playoff appearances—I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I appreciate you taking the time at the end of the day to to visit with us and to share your views. I, I appreciate our friendship, and uh, thank you again for taking the time to share your thoughts and learnings with us. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you Jed. It's great to great to spend time together. Thanks.